fast I grew once I started going to a small group. I mean, it was a market change. After about three months, I thought, I've grown more in three months than I did the pre- previous two years. There's a dynamic in the small group you can't get anyplace else. It actually is the genius of the New Testament, the small group model. Um, so this is kind of like the shallow soil on Sunday mornings. You go into a small group, and you're going to find yourself in some deep, rich soil where all sorts of powerful things happen. And so I asked Nick to come up this morning as we launch our connect groups. Uh, well, we launched them last week, but this week we're promoting our connect groups and so Nick's going to give a testimony about how he was a shallow Christian just a couple weeks ago. But it's like stepping into a phone booth and coming out like super Christian, not that he's going to a small group. So tell us about your experience. Well, so small groups to me are a really big part of my life. Um, I used to take it and go it alone. I'm like, oh, I am my own master of my own faith. I will build this myself. But you look throughout the Bible, and God always brought other people into other people's lives. You know, where two or more are gathered, not just one, but two, there he'll be. Even with Adam and Eve, he didn't like that Adam was alone, and he said it wasn't good. So in my own life, integrating other people into my own faith and my own walk, getting their perspectives, even if we may butt heads on things now and then, having other people in your life gives the diversity and just what God really wants into your life. It takes it to the whole nother level. It goes from, oh, me and my own perspectives, and then all of a sudden you get wise people in your life and you get brothers and sisters praying for you Mm. it just brings it to a whole nother level god didn't design us to be to do this alone especially in our walk with god just as i mean we're praying together for one another now god wants us to do the same i need people looking out for me i look out for them we pray for one another and we build each other up i don't build myself up as good as when another person's in my life and does it for me so look into it it's made a big difference in my life it's taken me to whole other levels to where I couldn't get on my own. So if you're not in a core group, I just connect with people there because it is about community. We come together on Sundays, and I need that during the week for me to just intimately connect with people on a more individual level. So let me ask you this. Now, you, li- you work in the corporate world, right? Yes. So, so you, are, you are saturated in an environment that's not Christ-like. In other words, people aren't coming up to you at work and saying, hey, look what I, you know, saw in the word today. This is what Jesus said to me. Can I it's pray? Like, can you pray for me? Yeah. Yeah. That's Things not like going that. on, right? No, it's not. So it's not a, it's not, it's not from a God perspective. So all the language, all the atmosphere, all the value system is not kingdom. Yeah, it's not. So if that's your environment and then you're isolated outside of that, um, does it make a difference when you purposely connect with a small group that is kingdom-minded. In other words, you, you put yourself into a, into a, you surround yourself, I don't know what I'm trying to say, you put yourself into like a Garden of Eden, right? Yep. And that influences you and empowers you so that you can go into these other environments and you feel empowered. Absolutely. And there's empowerment, but there's also encouragement. Because even Absolutely. I'm in that corporate environment, it's going to just continually just pound me and tempt me to go down another route, that whole corporate route, to fit in and to follow certain things that I know are not going to be good for my walk with God. But when I get into those situations, it does strengthen me. It's like those nature shows when you have a pack of gazelles, and then the way that they get to the one is they separate it on their own, and then they could get to that one. But when I'm with other people, it strengthens me more than That's I could do on my stuff own. right there, man. Amen. Don't be a lone gazelle. us. Thank you for the living word of God. Thank you for your voice. Thank you you have not left us on the earth, disconnected, dry. But you are the living God. 
Thank you for your voice, your word, your truth. Thank you for calling us here today. Speak to us powerfully. We want to be transformed today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. Guide us and lead us right now into all the truth. Amen. All right, you guys ready? All right. So, how, how many of you like being in bondage? Just raise your hand. Say, I love that. I love being all bound up. I love, I love being controlled and dominated by sin. I like being trapped. I like feeling suffocated. I like feeling dominated. I like feeling defeated. I love bondage. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? We're going we're gonna to release some more bondage on you today. If that's, if that's... How many of you love freedom? Would you just raise your hands? Freedom. One of the reasons why you and I love freedom so much isn't just because of the way it feels, but it's because that's what we were created for. We were created for freedom. We were created by God who is free. And he created us from himself, out of himself, gave us free will. The whole Christian thing, the dynamic is that God freely loves us and we have a choice to freely love him back. That's what all Christianity is, is loving God back. He loves us and we just love him back. That's where all of our service comes from, all of our worship, all of our giving, all of our missions, all of that stuff. Our being the salt and light of the world, the evangelism, it all comes out of loving God back. It's just all freedom. Um, so today we're launching a a mini-series, we'll get into it more in depth uh, maybe later in the year and do a more comprehensive, but we're launching a mini-series on truth. Because truth is the key to freedom. Let me give you an example. How many of you appreciate Pastor Bob Wilhite, who was here last Sunday, the spiritual father? Yeah, Bob is just Bob. Is just Bob. So I was studying this, and I've been... I've been, I've been um, Thinking deeply about this series that we're launching today, Truth, for a long time. And this week, as I was in my study day on Tuesday, and I was thinking deeply about it, this word freedom just kept coming up. There's so many, there's so many ways that we could break open a series on truth, but freedom just kept coming up in my heart. And as I was sitting there thinking about you and praying about this and asking the Holy Spirit, what direction do you want us to begin with when we talk about truth? The phone rings and it's Bob. And he just spontaneously launches into this story, uh, unprovoked. He tells me a story about this woman that came to him for counseling, and she had been tormented for years. And she was deeply angry and resentful. She had been through therapy for years. And he came to his office, she came to his office when he was a pastor, and, uh, 
he just started talking to her and started ministering to her, started counseling with her, and they weren't getting anywhere. It's like the first half hour, the first hour, the first hour and a half, the second hour. It wasn't going anywhere. She was just bound up, clearly bound up. And finally, the Holy Spirit speaks to Bob's mind. This thought came to Bob's mind from the Holy Spirit that said, ask her why she doesn't love dogs. And of course, as a counselor, you're, you know, that's risky, right? It's like, seriously, you want me to ask her why she doesn't love dogs? What does this have to do with anything? So he says, I have a question for you. Why don't you love dogs? And she says, I hate dogs. <laughs> and he said, why? She goes, I don't know. I just hate them. And she goes on and on and on about dogs. And he thinks to himself, she doesn't hate dogs. She hates people. But she has chosen the, 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 cre- the cre- creature that's the closest thing or the, the most endeared, one of the most uh, favorite, favorite household pets, the dog. Man's, you know, uh, most loyal friend, right? And so he suggests, you don't really hate dogs, you hate people. She goes, that's not true. Well, she, was, she works for the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Okay, she works for an organization that translates the Bibles in languages all over the world. She's not allowed to hate people. So she had transferred her hatred for people to dogs. So he says, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Just say, Lord, help me love dogs. And she says, Lord, help me love dogs. He says, say it again. Lord, help me love dogs. Say it again. Lord, help me love dogs. About the fifth time, she says spontaneously, Lord, help me love people. And she just broke. The next morning, he sees her at church, and her whole countenance had completely changed. Thirty days later, she came up to him and said, My husband and I fenced in the backyard, and we're buying a dog. (laughs) Thirty years later, she goes to one of his uh, relatives' churches in the same town. Thirty years later, she's still happy, healthy, working for Wycliffe Bible translators, has her dog, Truth delivered her. Deep in her soul, she had bought the lie about people. Something had happened along the way. She had decided that she hated dogs, which was a lie. And it took the Holy Spirit. I know that seems like a very odd example, but that's just one tiny example how Satan uses lies to bind human beings and trap them. And dictate their destiny. His desire is deceive, derail, and destroy. He deceives through lies, derails your destiny, and destroys your life. And it takes truth to unlock prison doors. Now we began a series. The last series we were in, our foundational text was, For the law was given through Moses... Let's take a look at the scripture for the law was given through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ, right? Look at it very closely for the law was given through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. How many of you know that that's an inaccurate translation of that verse? What is missing from this verse? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Now, I could have slipped that in on some of you. Because we love the grace of God. Why? Because we're all failures. We all sin. We all fail. We all have shame. We all have guilt. And we love the freedom that comes through grace. Everybody just breathe deep. Come on. We're all here by grace. We have all screwed up. Nobody's perfect. Thank God his mercy is brand new every single morning. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. But do you know mercy alone does not set a person free? It takes grace, say it out loud, and truth. See, grace brings forgiveness. Truth brings freedom. Grace can bring freedom from shame, but truth brings freedom from the thing that put you into bondage. So I want, to, I want you to jump to a slide where it says, uh, um, David, well, it says, lie, sin, bondage, truth, righteousness, freedom. Can you get to that slide real quick? You see that down there? Here's how Satan works. He sows a lie, which leads you to some kind of sin, which is some kind of separation from the will of God. Once you buy a lie... And it leads you into some kind of a behavior that is outside of the parameters of what God has set up for, for us to live healthy and whole. It's called holiness, wholeness. It leads to bondage. We'll look at that in a moment when we see this woman who was caught in adultery. Somewhere along the line, she bought a lie that stepping outside of her marriage and having relations with another man, somehow was going to bring her the peace, the joy, the satisfaction she was looking for. But that was a lie. There may have been pressures. There may have been dissatisfaction here in the marriage. But the lie was, if you will go be with that man in sexual immorality, it will bring you the joy of the peace. That's the lie. We hear these kind of lies in our heads all day long. His desire is to lie to us so that he can lead us down a path of sin, which will maybe momentarily bring pleasure, but the results of the fruit of it will always be bondage. Always. That's interesting. We have, we have sound, sound accompaniment today. Where, where, where Jesus sows truths into our lives, he tries to. We have to have big ears on. We have to have our nose in the book. We have to have our face in prayer. We have to listen to those around us. We have to hear the voice of God. Because the voice of God is truth, which always leads us to do the right thing, which always actually leads to freedom. Here's the lie we buy. I'm jumping all over my PowerPoint, so good luck, David. Here's the lie that we buy. The lie that we buy, which began in the Garden of Eden, the lie that we buy is... Freedom is to be free from God and his restrictive binding truths that are purported through Christianity in the Bible. This began in the garden and it has never stopped and it never will. Until what the Bible says in the end times, the whole world will be under the sway, the influence of the wicked one. And he sows his lives through the media, through music, through TV. He slides in values, core values that are contrary to the values of Jesus Christ through media, 
through our curriculum and our education system, through um, legislation that's passed through the government and goes into the fabric of our society and commerce. Satan is constantly sowing lies into the hearts and minds of men and women so that we then will behave and make policies based on what we believe. You see, what you believe is how you will behave. It begins with a thought. It's either a lie or a truth. Based on what you believe, you will then behave based on that belief system, and that will be the outcrop of your life. So some of you believe that vaccinations hurt children. You deeply believe that. Some of you believe that vaccinations save children. You deeply believe that. What's the behavior? Some vaccinate, some don't. And there are results to those actions. Some of you believe that a baby is a human being at conception. Some believe the baby is nothing but matter until they come out of the womb. And so based on that belief, you will behave based on your belief. That's why there's a war over whether it's a baby or not. It's a war over what you believe. Some of you believe tithing works. You tithe. Those of you that don't, don't believe it. You can say, oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. Because if you believe that giving to the kingdom of God works, then you would do it. If I said, I'm going to give you 10 bucks, and then you give me, no, you say, you give me $10, and I say, I'm going to give you 50 back right now, would you do that? Of course, if you have a brain. And this is what God says that he will do with us. It doesn't happen that immediately, but it does work. My wife and I have been doing it for years. You couldn't stop us. You could not stop us. We believe it. So your belief pattern follows, I mean, your behavior pattern follows your belief pattern. Some of you believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, and if you asked him as to be your Savior, your sins would be forgiven and you would be saved. And you believed that, so you acted on it, and you experienced the peace in your heart that only Jesus can give. You try to explain it to somebody else because you want them to experience the results of believing that, and it's frustrated when they don't believe it because you know they won't experience the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. So, Satan knowing that your behavior determines your experience will come all the way back here and begin sowing lies into your mind to try to get you to believe what he wants you to believe so you'll behave the way he wants you to behave so he can bring the destruction that he's passionate about. This all began in the Garden of Eden. God spoke the truth. And, of course, he gave him free will, which is why he put the one tree in there and said, don't eat from that tree, you're going to die. You can have all this other stuff, which shows how lavish and good God is. Creates all the galaxies, the whole earth, all the animals, the seas and everything. Boom! Then he creates Adam and Eve and says, hey, check it out. Let's take a walk. We'll get a Starbucks. We'll just walk around and talk about stuff. Adam, why don't you name some of the animals? This will be so fun. Okay. So he's lavish. Put the gold, all the minerals and the earth, I mean, just the richness of it all. He did all that. Then he says that one tree, one tree over here, just one tree. Don't mess with it. He had to do that so they had a free will, so they could freely choose to walk with God. So Satan comes to 
Adam and Eve, and he says, did God say that you cannot eat of all the trees of the garden? What a big, fat liar. What a big, fat, sloppy liar. That is not what God said. That is not what God said. The first thing he tried to do was try to convince them that God is not good. He won't even let you eat of any of the trees of the garden. And the woman was smart enough to say, no, that's not what he said. He said we could eat of all the trees of the garden, just not that one. So then he sows another lie. Well, here's why God told you not to eat of that. Because you will have a greater life outside of God than in God. You will be freer, larger, have more fun. You will become more than what you will ever be in God. In fact, you will become a God like him. She bought the lie, and here we are. The fallen human race. It all began with a lie. So this battle between truth and lie has never stopped. He, he's sowing lies right now into your heart and mine and my heart and mine. Every day he is sowing lies. Which is why we have got to cling to the truth because it is the Ajax on Greece. The truth of Jesus Christ is the cleanser of all lies. The truth of Jesus Christ illuminates and you see clearly. That's why we're going to jump into John chapter 8. David's like, what? Where are you? I'm right in John chapter 8, David. Just go right over there. John chapter 8. And John chapter 8, we're going to take a look at this, about how Jesus responds to a, a, a woman who has been caught in adultery, and she is obviously in bondage. For those of you that don't know the story, um, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were in bondage to a religious system that was about rules. The way that you have a relationship with God is through perfection. You have to perform, and we have all the rules for you to follow. And if you follow them the way we say you can follow them, then maybe, probably not, but just maybe, God might crack a little smile in the corner of his face one day towards you. But we will decide whether he does or not. So this is the religious, oppressive, shaming, condemning, controlling religion they were in. Jesus shows up, and they don't like him because he's a freedom fighter. He's hanging out with alcoholics and prostitutes and tax collectors, and they're laughing and enjoying him, slapping him on the back, and just loving being around him. And these Pharisees cannot believe that this rabbi is letting sinners touch him. He's eating with them. He's laughing with them. He's enjoying the human race, even in their fallen state. Because God loves us. So they want to trap him. They want to prove that he's not a real teacher of the Bible. So they catch a woman in adultery. They don't care about her. They don't care about her soul at all. They just want to use her to trap Jesus. This is how nasty religion is, by the way. Religion doesn't care about individuals. Religion just cares about its own system and surviving so that it can control and dominate. So they throw this woman. They find Jesus in the temple. He's teaching just like I'm teaching, but probably a little bit better. And... 
And it'd be kind of like if they took all the sins you've ever committed right now, if I took all the sins you've ever committed right now, and I just flashed them up on the screen so we all get to watch. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if I told you next week, y'all come, because I'm going to list all of my, the Amber sins, our youth pastor. We're just going to put them right up there on the screen. And we're going to invite all the people that he's ever sinned against to come to church next Sunday. Do you think he would show up? Javier, hush. He says, I would. You would, and you'd use it as a sermon to preach about the grace of God. That's what you would do. I know you. You would do that. So worse than that, they catch her in the act, and they throw her down at Jesus' feet, and they say, in the law of Moses, says she's supposed to be stoned to death. What are you going to do about it? Jesus is just, I mean, it's obviously an understatement, but Jesus is just brilliant. So he reminds them that you guys have sin too. And they're like, dang. They drop their rocks and walk out. You know I mean? How do you fight against that? So then he turns to the woman and he says this. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? You see, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. When people say, don't judge me, don't be a judger, because you're telling them the truth. What they're doing is insulating themselves from accountability to their destiny. Accountability isn't accountability from primarily. It's accountability to your destiny. Accountability to be all that God has created you to be in his image. So if you're in sin and you're hurting yourself and others and a friend comes up and tries to tell you the truth, stop being an idiot. That is sin. And you say, don't be a judger. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you the truth to set you free. That truth brings conviction, which is why there's conflict, because we don't like the conviction, because they're confronting you with your truth, but a true friend will tell you the truth, because they want to see you free. It's kind of like, you ever seen those shows, Intervention? You ever seen that show, Intervention? Somebody, some child or someone has been addicted to drugs or alcohol, usually, and they're just completely destroying their life, stealing from everybody, going in and out of rehab, just, just completely destroyed. To where the family decides we have to do an intervention. So you have a therapist and then you have the family members. They invite the person to some place that they think they're coming just to eat dinner or go someplace with somebody. And they walk into the room and there's all the family members. They're like, oh no. And the family's like, oh yes. Very uncomfortable. They close the door and the family members, each one of them have written a letter saying, whatever the consequence is, if you don't get into the van that's out in the parking lot and go to the rehab center today, we no longer have a relationship. I will no longer supply you anymore with money and resources. It's an intervention. This is the end of the road. We all disappear if you don't get in that van and go to a rehab center. It's an intervention. It's the last hope. So you watch these. Now, mercy up to that point, grace up to that point has been understanding, crying, hugging, helping. When the person will not repent, They will not change. They will not hear the truth that the path you're on is bringing destruction and bondage and creating pain all around. Um, Mercy at that point, grace at that point is not what's called for. What's called for is truth. You need to hear the truth right now. So everybody in an intervention has to be on the same page. 
Well, the mama in this one case was not on the same page. And so the therapist and the, and the brothers and sisters were saying, Mom, you have been enabling my sister, our sister, for all these years. In other words, Mom would just weep and cry and go ahead and pay her rent and pay her bills anyway. Even though the last time you gave her money, she went and spent it on drugs. And the mom will not stop showing mercy, 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 mercy. Everybody else is saying, it's time for truth, Mom. Are you with us? Because this is about saving your daughter's life. And the mom's like, okay, I can do it. I'll do it this time. So in the middle of the intervention, everybody's on top of this girl. Everybody's read their letters. She's like melting under this pressure, which is good. That's what has to happen to save her life. And the girl looks at everybody looking at her, telling her truth. And she looks at her mom and says, mom. And mom says, no, I'll still help you, dear. And everybody's like, no, mom. So they have to take mom and usher her off into a car, and they took her away. Because this girl was clinging to her mother's mercy when what she really needed was truth. And once they got their mom out of the situation, then she got in the van and she went to rehab and got cleaned up. Why do I tell you that story? Because when we as believers only cleave to grace and we're afraid of truth, we will never be free. Grace lifts the shame and the guilt, praise the Lord, but truth changes our behavior. So we don't keep going around the same cycle over and over and over again. That's why we need to read the second part of what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, just not the first part. Jesus said, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. We usually stop right there and say, yeah, don't condemn. Well, we're not going to condemn, but we are going to finish the mouthful that Jesus gave to her to set her free. He said... The whole thing is, and go and sin no more. He called sin, sin. Calling sin, sin is not mean, it's loving. It doesn't feel good, but it's, but it's the only way to get free. It's the having the courage and the character and the humility to hear truth that will save your life. You guys are all thinking about scenarios right now. You're thinking about people. You're thinking about circumstances, right? You're thinking, aren't you? Yeah. You know this is all very true. So now here comes the clash between the religious system and Jesus, and it gets really gnarly when you go down through the rest of this chapter, which I wish we had time just to sit here for a couple hours and read John chapter 8 and watch this battle, this clash of the kingdoms between the freedom fighter, Jesus Christ, and this religious nasty system of condemnation. Chapter 8 is uh, it's just it's better than any movie you're going to watch, I'm telling you. The next thing Jesus says, we'll just do a little bit here today. The next thing Jesus says is this. Then Jesus spoke to them again. This is right after. This is the next verse. I am the light of the world. Now, what you'll find in the Bible is when you look at the word truth in Scripture, it's referred to as light in life all over the place. Light in life. In fact, I want you to see this. Um, We're going to come out of this passage, and David, we're going to go um, to uh, Psalm 19. It would be one by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe the eleventh slide. 
And Psalm one nine, Psalm nineteen. Look at what the Bible says about the Bible. This is David, the man after God's own heart. The law of the Lord is perfect. See that word "perfect" there? That word is inerrant. We'll look at it in a second. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, converting, transforming, liberating the soul. The law of the Lord, the truth of God, the testimony of the Lord is sure. That's the truth of God. It's sure, making wise the simple. So the word of God, the truth of God brings conversion, transformation, restoration, and wisdom. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The word of God brings joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now, that word perfect there is the word we use, which is an inerrant. And this is what Jack Hayford, the, one of the greatest theologians and pastors of, our, of, of, of the 21st century, this is what he says regarding the word of God, the Bible, which Satan, the reason I'm showing you this is Satan has fought the word of God, which now is in book form, the Bible. He has fought it in our universities. He fights it in our high schools. He fights it uh, in every arena. He fights this book being the word of God because this thing is chock full of God's truths for your brain. This is the perfect perspective on every arena of life. Government, education, media, family, church, heaven and hell, Jesus Christ. This book right here, God has not not touched one arena of life. This book touches every arena of life. And it's pure truth, which illuminates our perspective on everything. That's why Satan has fought this book since the time it was canonized. If he can get you to believe that this book is not the word of God, then what are you going to depend on? What are you, what source are you going to go to to find truth? And so they say, well, it's been translated so many times and passed down throughout history. Well, here's the truth. Watch this. Jack Haver says, inerrant means that the, in the original copies, each manuscript written by each Bible's book's respective author, there was nothing mistaken or tinged with error. Regarding the copies delivered into our hands from generations past, every literary, now catch this, every literary critic who claims no faith in the truth of the Bible attests to it being the most completely reliable of any book transmitted from antiquity in terms of it actually remaining unchanged and dependably accurate. This means that if we're going to say the Bible is not accurate, you have to throw out every other literary work in history. Because we put the Bible through the same scientific test of accuracy as we do every other writing of every other historian in the history of the world. From Plato to Socrates to the rest of them. We say, well, we know this is accurate because we have tested it according to our tests of literary, literary work from antiquity. The Bible literally blows them all out of the water. So if you're going to have intellectual honesty, you're going to have uh, honesty about how we determine whether literary works are accurate or not. You're going to have to accept that the Bible has no error whatsoever. 
It is the word of God. So now let's come back to John chapter eight. You guys still with me? You hanging in there? Big stuff here. John chapter eight. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, he did not say he who follows my religious system. You see, you see what's about to happen here? He is separating. He's coming to Jerusalem where religion rules. And he's slamming right into the religious system of the day and saying, just follow me. See, that's why this gathering here today, this, this is an aspect of church. This is an aspect of Christianity. But the, the core of Christianity is Monday morning when you walk up and you walk out your front door. You just entered the world and Jesus Christ, if you invite him to be your savior, is on the inside of you. And you are a follower of Jesus Christ, not the follower of a religious system. You and Jesus are walking together. Then you run into another brother or sister at work or at school and they're you, hey, the kingdom of God. And now we're two or more together. Christ is right there in the middle of you. And you guys are kingdom citizens walking throughout the earth and you run into a situation that has moral implications, ethical implications. And you say, now, what would Jesus, what would Jesus, how, what does he want me to do as a, as a carrier of the kingdom, as a citizen of heaven on earth? What does my savior want me to do in this situation? What's his truth in this situation right here? That's who we are. That's why Jesus says this. To this woman who bought a lie that adultery would satisfy, ended up in bondage, Jesus says to her, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Isn't it amazing how Satan comes as an angel of light, the Bible says. He does something called the Enlightenment Age in in Europe. In the 1700s, the Enlightenment Age. The Enlightenment Age was God may have slung the, the worlds into existence, but he's not involved directly anymore. And so which is why Europe has gone spiritually dry. He makes light dark and dark light. He will convince you and I, and Mark's going to hit on this next week, you know, about our, our ability to rationalize. He convinces us that lies are truths and truths are lies. Tell me that's not happening right now in our world. That the lies are truths and truths are lies. He's perverted. He's a, he's per, he perverts truths. But he uses truths to do it. He uses a little bit of truth and perverts it. That's where he takes these other religions. He says, oh, Jesus Christ is the only way. Yes, he is. That's what Jesus said. I am the way, not a way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Well, that's kind of exclusive. Yes, it is. And Jesus said it. Well, that's not nice. Well, it's, it's not about being nice or not. It's about going to heaven or hell. It's about being saved or not saved. It's about the truth. That we were all damned to hell by our sins. Obviously that was true or God would not have allowed his son to be slaughtered on the cross for us. God's wrath, the, the courts of heaven, were justified by Jesus' death. That's why we are also, that's why we worship him. 
because of what he did for us. We have to understand the gravity of our sin and the consequences of our sin and our separation from a holy God. But God's love triumphs over his judgment, triumphs over his holiness. And his love sent his son to the earth to die in our place. Muhammad didn't do that, nor could he. Confucius didn't do that, or could he. Buddha didn't do that, or could he. Nobody could have done it but God himself, which is why it's proved that he was God by the fact he rose from the dead. He said, see, I told you. So Jesus isn't being mean or narrow-minded. He's just telling the truth. And it seems impolite. It doesn't seem politically correct. I would rather be politically incorrect and save a soul from hell than be polite and usher somebody to hell. I know that even sounds mean, doesn't it? It, it just, that's, well, that's just harsh language. Listen, Satan seen from the very beginning that God was going to send a redeemer, a savior, did everything he could to stop it. And if he couldn't stop it, which he couldn't, what he will do is throw a whole bunch of religions into the pot and mix them all up with a whole bunch of truth, but a whole bunch of deception and lies. And then it becomes all very confusing. Which is why any belief system that is contrary to the Bible, you've got to chuck it. Or you will be deceived. Well, this is what Jesus was saying to the religious system that he ran into and they killed him for it. I've got to come to a close. A couple of weeks from now, I'm going to teach again on this in this series. I'm going to make another deposit. I'm going to talk about absolute truth. I'm going to talk about where that comes from versus um, uh, um, relative truth. I mean, once you see where it began, it's, it's just obvious. It began in the garden. Absolute truth versus, versus relevant. Um, what? Relative. I'm obviously not preaching on it today. I can't even say it. So Jesus clashes with this religious system. Then he comes down. I, let, me, let me do this real quick, and we're going to close this up. But this is, this is very important. Verse 31 to 32, Jesus says to the Jews who believed, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That word know there means a recognition of truth by personal experience. It's kind of like when my kids say the water's fine. Come on, Dad, get in the pool. The water feels great. It's like, I don't believe it. No, really, it really is. Yeah, I, I don't know it until I try it. And then you jump in, and it's freezing. Now I know that they were liars. You don't know the truth until you try it. Jesus says, if you try my truth, you'll know it. Like, I didn't know that Jesus' peace was what he... I didn't know the peace of Jesus until I asked him into my heart. And now I know his peace. I know it by experience. He says, you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. This word to be made free 
is the Greek word that means to liberate, acquit, set free, and deliver. In the New Testament, the word is exclusively for Jesus is setting believers at liberty from the dominion of sin. Then we go to verse 33, and when they, when he says this to them, he knows exactly what, they know exactly what Jesus is saying to them. Jesus says, if you will saturate yourself in my truth, I will set you free from sin. And I will make you free, I will liberate you. What does that mean? That means that, be, first of all, my power will set you free from the power of sin, and I will set you free. I will set you free from the grips of sin. You're trapped. I will set you free by my power. But then, by my truth, I'm going to illuminate to you the playing field. And you're going to be able to see very clearly where the traps are. Kind of like when my wife and I bought a new king-size bed. We had a queen-size bed. Then a king-size bed with the posts, the big posts. Well, when she goes to bed before me, she would turn the lights out. And so I come walking through the room, right? Boom! Oh! And you hear her in the bed going, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that's funny. Right. And you, you got a black eye the next morning, right? And I did this multiple times. Until finally I decided I need to turn on a little lamp or, honey, will you please just turn the light on the bathroom on so I can see around the obstacles. The truth of Jesus Christ illuminates the playing field so we can see sin. We can see what it is and we can avoid it. That's why he says the son will make you free. They got upset and said, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been a bondage to anyone. That's denial. At the time they said we've never been a bondage to anyone, they are being occupied by the Roman government. That's you and I. When we hear truth and we fight back, we're in denial. The woman that had an intervention, she was in denial. I don't have a problem with drugs. Her whole world is just completely crumbling. And she's still saying she can control it. She can stop anytime she wants. That's how we do. And he said, how can you say we'll be made free? He said, Moshe Shalai said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This last word free is different than the other made free. It means freeborn, exempt from legal obligation, unconstrained. It is the opposite of being enslaved. It means to come and go. That's describing the freedom to go where one chooses. What Jesus was trying to do with them and what he's trying to do with you and I is he's saying to them, you are bound up in a religious system that cannot give you the power to break you free from the bondages of sin, nor can it illuminate the truth about sin. And you're going to keep going down the same path and keep getting into bondage and you're going to trust your religious system to set you free. You're slaves. I've come to set you free. And here's how you're going to get free. Come to me and I will give you grace. I will forgive you of your sins. I will, not a religious system. Then I will breathe my spirit into your soul. And you will become not a slave to a religious system. You will in that instant become a son or a daughter of the living God. That's why he said, a slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son does, sons and daughters. He was trying to literally deliver them from religion into a relationship with the living God. And he said, once 
you allow me to do that, then you will be free. Free indeed. And you can walk into any situation. You can walk throughout the earth. You can go into education system. You can go to the media. You can go into entertainment industry. You can go into government. You can go, you, you, you can walk into any environment in life, any arena in life. You and I can walk together and you will be in it, but you will not be of it. And it won't be about rules. It will be about a relationship with me. Follow me. I am the light of life. And you will not walk in darkness. They'll be saying, hey, no, no, stay away from that. And you'll hear that on the inside. You're like, you're right. And he gives you the power. Here's what I'll end with. The person of Jesus Christ. Not, not, not a religious system. The person of Jesus Christ. Shines on your path. He illuminates the path in your marriage. I'm telling you what. The way that Hope and I have gone for 20 years. And we are happy and healthy for the most part. Yeah, that new bed almost derailed us. The way that Hope and I have gone for 20 years with six kids, two cats, a dog, and a mother-in-law. I'm telling you what, I'm telling you what. Is because when my heart gets hard, I get frustrated or angry, um, I'm being a jerk, whatever it might be, just the flesh, the selfishness, all that. I get on my knees and I get along with Jesus, not a religious system, with Jesus, and he speaks the truth to my heart. And he illuminates my path with his word and with his spirit. And then he gives me the power to step out from that little prayer time, and I'm better. I'm better for her, and I'm better for my kids, and I'm better for you. We're not in a religion. We're in a relationship with the living God, and his truth will set you free. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So we're going to do this right now. Satan is so in lies into us all the time. He's trying to. Jesus is sowing truths. The truths dismantle the lies. The battle for the truth. I want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to be honest and open to the Holy Spirit right now, the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all the truth. This is about the difference between bondage and freedom. The war is not ultimately over. Just keep your eyes closed and listen, because I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise here. Nobody's going to steal your purse or anything, so don't worry about it. The war is not ultimately about the truth and a lie. The war is over your soul. As I said at the very beginning, if he can get you to believe lies, it will lead you into fear and bondage. So the Holy Spirit wants to unlock doors by revealing the lie and then speaking truth, which will always bring freedom because that's who God is. And that's what you're made for is freedom. So with your eyes closed right now, would you just ask the Holy Spirit, what lies have I been believing? Even if it's just one in one area of your life, just let him choose. 
What lie have I been believing? Now just get quiet and just let something rise up in your heart or your mind. Okay, now, um, now this is a listening exercise, and some of you may or may not be developed in it, or maybe you got something for the first time in your life, I don't know, but this isn't a pass-fail. You're not a second-rate citizen of the kingdom of God if you didn't get something. So don't, don't let the devil lie to you right now, saying, well, I didn't get anything, so I must, not, I must be spiritually deaf. This, this is just an exercise. How many of you feel like you got... Something, a lie. Raise your hand. You say it. something came up. Look at that. Okay, maybe about half of you. Okay, good. Okay, now, if you didn't, do this on your own. I do this all the time. I, all the time. The Spirit of truth guide me into all the truth. And I let him reveal, bring lies up into me all the time so he can set me free from them. Okay, so, now let's go back to the Holy Spirit and ask him, Holy Spirit, what is the truth you would like to speak to me about that? Okay, now, how, how many feel like they, they got something? Raise your hand. Okay. Did you see that exercise? About 25% of you, maybe 30% of you. Okay, now, let me ask you this. What, what, do, you, what's the, what, what do you feel after hearing the truth about that situation? Just, just say it out loud. Power. Huh? Joy. Relief. Humble. Gratitude, peace, freedom, huh? power. So maybe God is good. <laughs> Do you see that little tiny exercise we just did that is like powerful as dynamite? You see that? See, he's walking with us and wants to speak the truth into us about things, not to shame us, but to set us free. That's our Savior. That's Jesus Christ. So I want to ask this morning, we just close your eyes for a moment, and you can spend another moment with the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you've been believing lies that have kept you away from Christ, and he's calling you today. Right now, he's calling you. And he's calling you to bring that peace that you've never known. He wants you to walk with him, not only now, but in heaven. Because Jesus said that if you will come to him and make him the Lord of your life, that he will forgive your sins and give you life, eternal life, and it will begin right now. If that's you and you would like to ask Jesus right now in this moment into your life and to be your Savior, believing he is the way, the truth, and the life, would you just raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I want to ask Jesus Christ into my heart right now to be the Savior of my life. Raise your hand really high so I can see it. Okay. 
I didn't see anybody raise their hand, but um, if you didn't and you'd like to, you can meet me down front here. But um, amen. I'm good. You good? You're up next. Yeah, next week. You think you can do better than this? No. Yeah. Mark's going Mark's gonna to light it up next week. Amen. So, use this apparatus this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to continually show you truth all week long. And you're going to be amazed how many lies you actually live by. And the Holy Spirit's going to be showing them. And he's going to keep setting us free. And he's going to liberate us so we can be the light of the world. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Prayer teams, come on down. Let's pray for the sick. And anybody else has any needs? If you have any specific needs, come down front here.